Welcome to the Staying Free podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Geronimo, who is a popular Australian freedom fighter who has quite a large following on Twitter. Geronimo was mentioned in one of my previous podcasts, which was episode 10 with Natalie. And in that episode, we mentioned Geronimo because he had put a tweet out saying that he had taken the COVID-19 vaccine, essentially against his will, purely through coercion and in order to keep his job. So I wanted to reach out to Geronimo to tell his side of the story because obviously me and Natalie were quite sympathetic to his reasoning, but he received quite a lot of criticism online, which I thought was quite unfair. And in any case, I thought it would be good to get someone on who actually has had to make quite a big compromise, you know, in this kind of ongoing struggle. Around half of my audience is from the UK. And in the UK, obviously we had a very stringent lockdown, but when it comes to vaccine coercion, well, there's certainly been coercion, but there hasn't been quite as much in the way of mandates. We had a very short period of having a vaccine passport, which went away very quickly and actually quite suspiciously. But aside from that, aside from care workers being a notable example, there hasn't been that much in the way of people losing their jobs for not taking the vaccine. And this is very different in Australia. And this conversation really highlighted to me just how far down that line Australia actually is compared to the rest of the world. I mean, even in the UK, it's been bad. But just talking to Geronimo about the situation in Australia, it just really highlighted to me what a stark difference it is and how bad things have really got over there. So I'm really glad to have been able to give Geronimo an opportunity to tell his story and hopefully people can kind of connect with more of the human side. I mean, this is something I'm trying to do with this podcast is rather than people just coming across in 280 characters on Twitter, is actually allow people to connect with each other on a different level. I think part of the reason why people have been so quick to criticize Geronimo for his decision is because they only know him through Twitter and that human side has never really come across. So it's really easy to just call him a shill and assume that there's not a real person behind that who has gone through quite an ordeal. So I'll leave the rest of the conversation itself. I hope that you take something from it. And as always, if you have any feedback, then feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. Geronimo, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thanks very much for having me, Johnny. Appreciate it. Yeah, um, I really appreciate you coming on. Obviously, the way we initially got connected, at least in terms of you coming on the podcast, I know we've been um, kind of communicating for a while, but in terms of coming on to the podcast, um, I wanted to give you the opportunity to come and kind of give your story because uh, you were mentioned in one of my podcasts with uh, Natalie, um, who's Mm -hmm. World of NC on Twitter. And, you know, we were both very sympathetic to the fact that you have kind of been essentially coerced into taking the vaccine, as I'm sure a lot of Australians have. So mm-hmm. um, I know that when you made that decision, it was quite difficult because a lot of people kind of um, really, I guess, responded to that in a very negative way, as if, as if you'd kind of, you know, abandoned the team or whatever. And, um, you know, I think mm-hmm. me and Natalie really expressed sympathy for your situation. So I'm glad to kind of be able to give you an opportunity to go into it. So I guess we can kick things off there um, about um, the situation in Australia that led to that and your feelings around it. Yeah. Um, well, it's it sort of basically <clears throat> the the government came out and ma- and mandated the vaccine for. It was done in two ways. The New South Wales government I work for. Um, a department within the New South Wales government. 
they mandated it. The government mandated the vaccine for certain industries via what's called a public health order, which means the chief medical officer of the state issued a public health order. Now, that was the case with teachers, uh, with um, New South Wales health you know, hospitals, all that sort of stuff. But the other way it was done was employer specific. So in, in my case, my employer mandated the vaccine. <clears throat> so, but every industry had vaccine mandates. There was nowhere to go, you know, whether you're in mining or in, in, in government or retail or hospitality, whatever, every, all industries were mandated to have the COVID vaccine. They mandated it for us. And we, we basically, we mounted a legal challenge. Um, we hired lawyers and we, uh, our plan was to, to fight it in court. What happened, several, several cases from other firms ran before us in, in, the, new, in the Supreme Court of New South Wales, uh, and they were all unsuccessful. Uh, they all failed. And, and, and it, in fact, they ended up getting hit with an adverse cost order in one case. Uh, they were made to pay the, the legal costs of the other side in an unsuccessful legal challenge. Our case was drawing closer and closer and, and our, our legal team had seen the cases before us all fail. And, and in the end, it came down to our lawyers contacted us and said, basically, no one who refuses a vaccine is going to have a job. And if you keep going, you're going to get hit with a cost order. Um, you're, you're likely going to get hit with an adverse cost order against you. Now, there was about 90 of us involved in this in this um, action that we were planning to take before the Industrial Relations Commission of New South Wales. So it basically, we, we'd gone, we'd all gone over the deadline that our uh, employer had issued to us saying you have to be vaccinated by this date. Um, after our lawyers basically told us the situation was hopeless and if we didn't get vaccinated, we were going to lose our jobs, their strategy then became, well, what we can do is anyone who gets fired for refusing a vaccine, we'll see if we can run an unfair dismissal case for them, but we'll probably be unsuccessful there too. So the situation was hopeless. It was basically get a vaccine or lose your job. Uh, and, there was, and that was the case. It wasn't like you could quit one industry and go to another. It was across the board. So many of us, I mean, myself included, I ended up biting the bullet, so to speak, and I got the vaccine. I got the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, and there was reasons I chose that one over the others. But many of my colleagues, did refuse and they have lost their jobs. And I, you know, I have people saying on Twitter, oh, they're bluffing, they can't do that. It's illegal, mate, they did do it. People have lost their jobs, they've lost their, their homes. They were fired and, and it, was, it, was, it was shattering, it was devastating. It wasn't just about me. I, I, wanted, to, you know, I wanted to help others. That was my whole reason for starting this legal action against the vaccine mandates and ultimately it failed. And it came down to get a vaccine or lose your job. And many people did lose their jobs and they're now jobless, you know? So that, that's kind of what happened in a nutshell. Um, but with regards to the conversation you spoke about with Natalie, and it wasn't just her, many people, I think, I got accused of being like a shill or a, a phony on Twitter. Like people sort of said, your role as we see it is to come on here, pretend you're against vaccine mandates, then, you know, reluctantly, um, get the vaccine and, and say, oh, look, I got it and I'm fine. They're not that bad. You should get vaccinated too, which is ridiculous. I mean, as if I was sort of being paid by AstraZeneca or Pfizer to prom promote vaccines. I mean, it was just nonsense. The fact is I was just a regular person who was made to get a vaccine or I would have lost my job and my home and, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and just to, just to kind of reiterate, I, I hope that you don't get the impression from my conversation with Natalie that either of us suggested that i think that we both no, totally no, understood a... that it was um you know very much a real life situation of someone 
you know, being coerced to get a vaccine. And we kind of saw it happen, mm-hmm. you know, within within the community. Obviously, there's a lot of people who are kind of prominent in the kind of movement against, um, you know, lockdowns and, and vaccine mandates, etc. Not that many of them have actually said, look, you know, I had to give up the fight. I didn't have any other choice. And obviously you were, as far as I know, like one of the most prominent examples. So, you know, I certainly from my point of view, and I and I think that's the case with Natalie, at least I can't speak for other people who I don't know and haven't had that conversation with. Like we definitely share a lot of understanding and sympathy because realistically, this is the situation that some people um, have had to be in. And I've been quite lucky. And I think generally speaking, people in the UK have been quite lucky because mm-hmm. we haven't gone down this route. I mean, you know, and this is definitely something I want to get onto you is, is how Australia got here. But certainly in the UK, it's been nowhere near as bad. So it's easy for people um, overseas and who aren't in Australia and who aren't in particular states even to kind of point the finger and say, oh, well, you know, you gave up the fight, you must be a shill. But, um, you know, I, I definitely don't don't think that. And But I do think that it's important to kind of like share these these um stories essentially uh, you know because we're not going to win every fight and the important thing as well is not to throw people under the bus who have had to give up the fight because everyone has to do ultimately what's right everyone's trying to live their best life and that involves being able to put food on the table for yourself and your family and everything so um yeah it's uh, it, it's really unfortunate but you know at the at the end of the day like i have the utmost sympathy for the situation so um to go back to that point about australia how how did Australia get here? Because, um, you know, obviously we went through pretty harsh lockdown and things in the UK, but we've gone nowhere near as far when it comes to things like vaccine mandates. So is this something that's always been under the surface in Australia or is this has this surprised Australians as much as it's surprised the rest of the world? Um, I'll get to that. I just wanted to quickly address one point you made there, Johnny, that I think is really important. Um, a lot of the people that... W- that- accuse me of being a shill and, and then saying you're a sellout, you're a fraud. You know, my, my Twitter handle was no to tyranny now. And I'd have people say, change your name because you're, you're not, a, you're not a, a resistor of tyranny. You're an enabler and you're, and I, I can, I can deal with that criticism. It really doesn't bother me. What annoyed me is that it was coming from people in a lot of cases who lived in either in England or uh, the U S who weren't even facing vaccine mandates. They weren't told, get a vaccine or lose your job. And, and they were saying things like, oh, sellouts like you have made it hard for, the, for us brave freedom fighters. And I, well, really, how much courage does it take to, to refuse a vaccine when there's no consequences for you when you do that? You know what I mean? That, that was what annoyed me, but people that weren't in the situation we were facing here in Australia telling me I'm a sellout when they weren't even put to the test. You know what I mean? It's easy to say what you would have done in, in a certain situation, but until you're there, you really don't know. So that, that, I mean, I don't want to go on and on about that. It, it, it's fine, but that's sort of what really annoyed me about some of the people that were accusing me of being a sellout and a shill and a fraud and all that sort of stuff. Now, going t- to your question about Australia, I, I think that it's a really good question. Australia, for some reason around, I've traveled a lot, Johnny, and, and obviously you have, you, you've traveled too. Australia has a reputation around the world as being sort of a, People think it's kind of like 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 Texas or something. It's rugged, and the, the people are rugged individualists, and you know that they they don't have a, a high regard for authority and all that sort of stuff. And you know it's it's a really laid back, easygoing country. And that's always I've always found that really interesting because nothing could be further from the truth. Okay, that that's complete bullshit. Australia is the ultimate nanny state. It, it it's a really really bad nanny state. 
And Australians have a really, a stra- there's a strange mindset in Australia. Anytime something goes wrong, Australians, their first reaction is, oh, the government's got to do something. Why isn't the government, the government's got to step in. They always demand government intervention for every little problem. And, and even though the government is a disaster, they screw up everything they touch, everything they, whenever they get involved in any problem, they make it worse without, without exception. But there's this weird mindset in Australia that the government is the solution to every problem. Like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a hardcore authoritarian nanny state to the point where, and I think people understand, people overseas, they don't, they've never seen that side of Australia. They've got, we've got our sort of public image that we project to the world but it's not the way the country is. And um, that authoritarian, there's also unfortunately a real snitching culture. There's a, a culture of telling, uh, you know, snitching on people who don't follow the rules, which I hate. I've always hated that sort of mentality. Um, so that's kind of what Australia was already like. Now, when COVID hit, it it it, it went up at a ten, 10 levels, you know what I mean? It was, it was just, it was the nanny state on steroids. And so to answer your question, yes, that, that, that authoritarian tendency had always been there, but it was always kind of disguised in, in, and wrapped up in the idea of the nanny state. Oh, government's there to protect you. They're there to keep you safe. You know, it's for your own good. I've always hated that aspect of Australia. Um, and, and it really came to the fore during COVID. That, that's when it got really, really bad. And I, I, I don't think people overseas, I mean, with the exception of Canada, which I'm, I don't think people realise how bad things were here at the peak of, of the COVID madness. It was out of control, you know. Yeah, and I'm surprised as well of how things have panned out with different states because actually I was in um, Melbourne at the beginning of this when when the when COVID hit and when the lockdown started coming in. I was in Melbourne, um, and it was it was very strange. It was almost like all the cafes were empty, but they were still open. Like they were all still open, but nobody was going into them. Um, and then after I left, I was kind of watching the situation in Australia quite closely. And it seemed like Victoria really went full authoritarian. Um, but in, but actually in Sydney and New South Wales, it seemed like it didn't go that way. It seemed like there was a much more hands-off approach. So did that just change at some point? It, it did. It was really strange. Now, for those that don't sort of know, Australia, we've got several states and territories and each one has their own state government and, and what's called the premier. The premier is like kind of like the governor of a state in the US, like Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida, for example, where we have state premiers, which are the equivalent of that. So each state has, it's, Australia is a very over-governed country. We've got a, a massive federal government, then a big, big state government, and then local government as well, all for a population of 26 million. So it's a heavily governed country. Um, now, Victoria and some of the other states, I think Queensland, Western Australia, they have Labor premiers. Labor is like your Labor Party in the UK, a sort of left-wing, so-called workers-type party. That's what they claim, but they're really just sort of left-wing authoritarians, you know, more or less. Um, Daniel Andrews, who was the premier in Victoria, he kind of set the standard. He was he got the nickname around the world. I mean. Americans and Brits shouldn't know who the Premier of Victoria is, you know what I mean? But they did. He became infamous around the world and and known as Dictator Dan. And the rules and restrictions they brought in were just ludicrous. I mean, we're talking curfews, lockdowns. Um, There was business closures. You weren't allowed to travel more than five kilometres from your house. 
that they set up what they called a ring of steel around Melbourne. Like, so you weren't allowed to leave the metropolitan area. They were, they, they, you know, police were going around the, the, the streets using force on people for not wearing masks properly and stuff. It was, it was absolutely ludicrous. Now, you're right, in the beginning in New South Wales, we weren't as bad. We had a premier at the time called Gladys Berejiklian who was very popular, uh, who was quite popular at the time. And she sort of resisted initially. She, which now I dislike all politicians, but obviously there's there, there, there's some that are worse than others, and some that are better than others. She was one of the better ones, I would have to say, at that point. Um, in New South Wales, they didn't go immediately. They resisted lockdowns quite a bit initially, um, and they used what they called contact tracing, which I always believed was a scam. I mean, it was just, it was a nonsense. Like you'd go somewhere and you get a, a message five days later, oh, you were exposed to COVID at this point, go home and isolate. I mean, well, by that time, how many places have you visited and how many people have you come into contact with? So like this idea that they could contact trace and stop the virus spreading was just, I, I thought it was a load of, of BS, but they were using contact tracing more and they resisted lockdowns. What happened though, we had a media that was just, I, I blame the media even more than the government. It's, they were so... They wrote about COVID all day, every day. They were counting cases. They were counting deaths. And they started going to the, the, the press conferences with our premier in New South Wales and, and saying, why are, look what Victoria's doing. Why aren't we locking down harder? Why don't we have curfews? Why aren't you going harder? Why, why are you sitting back? And, you know, look, cases, they, kept, and they almost um, just bludgeoned her into becoming an authoritarian as well. You, you know what I'm saying? They sort of shamed the New South Wales government into going, doing what the rest of the country was doing. And, and then it became, so then we, then we did start having lockdowns here and, and they were bad. They were really bad. They closed businesses. They came up with ludicrous rules. Um, and <clears throat> it became almost like a competition in who could be the, the, the most authoritarian, who could be the nastiest and who could be the, you know, the toughest on, on COVID. And our premier did, um, end up succumbing and then she got really really nasty and and I, at the peak that when the vaccine first came out they were saying things like and i was unvaccinated at that stage and i planned on remaining unvaccinated but they were saying you weren't going to be allowed to travel you weren't going to be allowed to go to restaurants gyms cafes cinemas you weren't going to be able to go interstate you weren't and i could deal with all that i was like you know what i can deal with all that what i can't deal with is not having a job not having an income but they were threat. They were threatening fifty-five thousand dollars fines for any business that was caught serving an unvaccinated person. It got just out of control, and I remember thinking, "I'll be honest with you, Johnny. I was I was actually scared. I was thinking, are we going to end up in some kind of camp? Are we going to end? Are they going to start talking about culling the unvax? I mean, how far is this going to go? It was a level of tyranny I'd never seen before, and it was really getting quite frightening. Then, sort of, what happened? that particular premier was embroiled in a sort of corruption scandal and she ended up resigning. The new premier that came on was our former treasurer, a guy named Dominic Perrottet. And he, I knew of him, I've always been kind of quite interested in politics and I knew of him before he, he rose to prominence as the premier. And he, he, he was a lot more sort of freedom oriented. You know what I mean? He was, um, he was more of what I call a sort of traditional conservative libertarian type. He believed in freedom and free markets. And he sort of speak, started speaking out against a little bit against the vaccine mandates and th not, not against the vaccine mandates, but he said, we can't have a two tier society, things like that. Um, now he hasn't done as well as I had hoped, but if it wasn't for him coming in and, and, and rolling a lot of this stuff back, I believe Australia would still be in the full 
the grip of the COVID insanity. He led the way. And as, as he started relaxing things in New South Wales, other states were forced to follow. You know what I mean? And, and, I, and I still say, if it wasn't for Dominic Perrottet, and he's not perfect, believe me, I believe there's a lot more he could do and he should have done. But if it wasn't for him, uh, I think we'd still be in COVID mania. Right. I guess with some of these politicians, it's like he, he might have wanted to do more, but you kind of have to make everything that you do somewhat palatable. And if you go too far on the side of yes. freedom, obviously that's what we all would like to do. But it's almost like if that's going to become a scandal on its own, that this person becomes, you know, the the whatever, the premier of super spreading or whatever, you, you know what the media will brand them. And then, you know, they get ousted and then they bring in someone else. And that's in. what they did. Oh, that, oh he, he's not there now. No, he, he is. He is still there. But he he was absolutely lambasted in the media. I mean, he was, you know, they were calling him let it rip Dom and all this sort of stuff. And he doesn't care. And I mean, I, Christmas Day, Johnny, I, I was getting in arguments with relatives at the dinner table. That, you know, I, my, my wife's uncle was there saying, oh, I hate this new premier. And I said, why? He said, oh, well, he's removing the mask mandate. And I said, but you can still wear a mask if you want. It's just, oh no, but everyone should be forced to. He's an idiot. He, you know, he's dangerous. And, and this is what you're up against in Australia, mate. Like there's people who are upset that they're not being forced to wear a mask anymore. And I mean, if you want to wear a mask, you can wear one, but they want everyone to be forced. This is the mindset here. That what I was talking about before, this sort of love of the nanny state and it's government's, it's government's role to wrap us all in cotton wool and keep us safe. It's, it's out of control. And Dominic Perrottet has been, we had prominent media personalities uh, who were slamming him, calling him the boy premier and he's putting people at risk and he's dangerous and he's, and like but what, what you said, Johnny, he has people in the background who he has to keep on side. He can't just say, right, we're getting rid of everything. It's a load of rubbish because there's people within his own party that would bring in. So he's trying to strike a balance between restoring civil liberties and, and freedom and um, keeping himself in the top job if you know what i mean if, if, if you're right if he went too hard i think they'd, they'd remove him um and, and we we have these chief medical officers i mean again you, we shouldn't even know the names of the chief medical officers but they they rose they became like celebrities they had daily press conferences the these idiot uh, chief medical officers and every day they'd i, I think that they became semi-famous and they were enjoying that they knew that they had they could shut down the whole state they could close borders they could shut they could introduce lockdowns mask mandates curfews whatever they want and these people were just drunk on power and, and i think they didn't want to give it up and when dominic perrottet came in and started trying to relax things and saying look we have to get back to normal we can't keep going like this he clashed with our chief health officer this kerry chant um and i think it caused some problems. You know what I mean? He was being white anted very much. There, there was leaks to the media, people speaking against him behind his back. So we've been very lucky to have him and, and, and he's done quite well. I mean, I wish he'd done more, but like you said, he's got to strike a balance between he's got to keep his fellow politicians or, you know, on side, but also try and restore freedom. So it, it is a balance. You know what I mean? Yeah. So go, going back to the, um, the previous was it the premier the premier who had a corruption scandal or was it a mayor or something? It, it was the premier. Her name was Gladys Berejiklian, and she was um, there was what they call an I, it was called ICAC. It's the Independent Commission Against Corruption, and that you know it's a government body that basically investigates allegations of corruption in 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 government. And it can be politicians, it can be you know bureaucrats, government employees, whatever. Um, and she was basically 
brought undone by that. I mean, it wasn't what she was doing. She was she basically had a boyfriend who was a fellow politician in a, in a regional area, and I, I, she was sort of like funneling money to his uh, electorate to fund projects there. And, and they're basically saying, you know, she was giving him special treatment, you know, special treatment and 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 funneling money there to fund things because he was her boyfriend. That was kind of it. It was nothing really that terrible. But she ended up resigning after that, and that's when Perrottet came on it. And and, I, and like I said to you, mate, if it wasn't for Dominic Perrottet, I think we would still be, we'd still have lockdowns and restrictions. You know, he he led the way out pretty much. Yeah, that's great that you had that. I, I think that it's kind of similar in America. That I think that without Ron DeSantis in Florida, I'm not sure that America um, would be so free because you just need the one state to prove that it's possible, right? You just need the one state to to say you know, all of these doomsday predictions that we're going to open up and we're going to, we're going to have these huge spikes in cases, which has just never been seen anywhere. No, nowhere have we seen when they've opened up that you have spikes in cases. Um, it's just completely, no. uh, it's just, it's complete non-science. And um, so, yeah, it's great that you, that you had that premiere who was able to do it. I actually thought that the the last one, I, I didn't know whether the corruption might be something to do with the big farmer or anything like that, but you, there's nothing there. There was allegations. One uh, sort of prominent businessman in Australia, Clive Palmer, alluded to that, 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 that Pfizer and AstraZeneca were making big donations to the Liberal Party in exchange for, well, in exchange, they were sort of encouraging them to push lockdowns and then offer their vaccines as the, as the, the way out kind of thing. Um, but that, that not much more really came of that. But, uh, it was never proven and, and it just kind of fizzled out. We didn't hear m- much more about that. I mean, obviously, our government has made big deals with Pfizer um, and AstraZeneca. That's well known, but uh, that, that, that particular aspect of the corruption, that, that never really played much of a role in her demise. Um, right. Okay. Where are things up to now then, both kind of between states and in Australia generally with the whole vaccine thing because a lot of countries now have moved away from it. And for me, I always felt like the booster kind of issue was going to be the undoing of all of this stuff because you might be able to convince everyone to get two shots, but the idea of trying to convince everyone to get two shots every whatever it is, 12 weeks for the rest of their lives was just too much of an undertaking. And I felt like Big Pharma got too greedy Governments got too drunk on their own power and ultimately they pushed too hard and then realized that they weren't going to get it. And it's very difficult then to just knock it back a peg and say, oh, okay, well, we'll just stick to two. It's like once you've said that everyone needs a booster every 12 weeks and that the vaccine wanes and stuff, so everyone's got to get it, you can't really then go back on it all and then say, oh, no, actually it does work forever. So everyone should still get the two jabs and we'll still give you a vaccine passport. So I, it, I thought that would be the undoing and I don't know whether that is. I can't necessarily say I was correct on that since a lot of countries have now um, gone in a different direction. Perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't. But where is Australia on all of that? Because now that a lot of the other countries have kind of just accepted that, or maybe not, maybe they haven't um, verbally accepted, but it seems that they've given up this fight on trying to just get everyone vaccinated and boosted. Is there any hope for Australia or is Australia still kind of pushing on? Well, They are talking a lot about boosters. Um, At this stage, they haven't mandated them. Um, At least, and Dominic Perrottet, again, there, he even said um, 
like New South Wales Health was the one place where the mandates were were the, were the strongest. You know, the doctors, the nurses, the hospitals, and all that. Uh, he did say that the booster was not going to be mandatory for New South Wales Health employees, which I find encouraging because I'm hoping. I mean, if they don't mandate it for health, it hopefully won't be that that will you know it hopefully won't be mandated in other industries, including my own, because I don't want to get a booster. I didn't want the first two. Um, I, I think with the vaccine, mate. Partly in the beginning, they, they, they really gaslight us. They, they, they tell us one thing and then pretend they never said it. But you'll remember, Johnny, they did say in the beginning it was effective in stopping transmission. And that was the whole reasoning for the vaccine passports. Oh, we know if you're vaccinated, you're safe and you won't spread COVID. So you're allowed in. But those, those dirty unvaccinated people, they can't come in because they might spread COVID. Well, we now know that's complete bullshit because everyone I know who's got COVID is vaccinated. Um, it does nothing. It clearly does nothing for transmission. Um, in fact, it's, it's even less effective than I thought it was going to be. I, I thought we would have a harder case to prosecute if, if they could show that the vaccine was really effective in shutting down COVID, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop it at all. Um, so I think that's why they're kind of backing away a little bit. The promises of, of, uh, you know, stopping transmissibility have been exposed as completely fallacious. So they've sort of given up on it a little bit. Um, it varies a little bit from state to state, um, but in New South Wales, at least, they have backed away somewhat. Although the other day I was reading articles about uh, should we should we bring in a fourth a fourth uh, injection, like, like a, a, a second booster or fourth injection? So it hasn't gone away, but I'm hoping it will. Um, as I said, mate, I I I was devastated. To I mean, I don't I don't want to go on too much about it, but I was already an anti-vaxxer and, and I am an, I was, I am an anti-vaxxer. I'm not just COVID vaccines. So, so many people say, Oh, look, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I just don't want this one. I already did. I was already very skeptical about vaccines in general. I, I, I didn't like them. I, I've never had a flu shot, things like that. My son has never had a vaccine. My wife um, is not, it hasn't had a COVID vaccine. So to be forced to take these vaccines that were experimental, they were rolled out under emergency use authorizations. We were reading about the side of, Mate, I was shattered. I was, I was just devastated, and, and I, I got the AstraZeneca one because I thought, I mean, I didn't want any of them, but <clears throat> the, with the AstraZeneca, there seemed to be more risk of coagulation issues, clotting issues, and stuff like that. Whereas with the the, the mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, it seemed to be the the risks were more related to heart trouble via uh, myocarditis and pericarditis. I sort of, I mean, I guess I just thought, well, I'll take my risk with, with a clot, which in, can be treated in some cases, other, other times they're fatal. Um, but I was more prepared to take that risk than the risk of the mRNA vaccines. And, and that's why I went with AstraZeneca. I didn't want it. Even with my employer, I, I was on leave at the time when the vaccine mandate came into effect. And I asked, I said, can I go on leave without pay? You don't even have to pay me. And I'll wait for the Novavax vaccine to come out. Now, the Novavax one you probably know is a um, a subunit protein vaccine. It's more of a sort of traditional type vaccine. They said no. Even though you're on leave, you have to get one of the currently available vaccines. If you don't, and if you don't, we'll, we will be commencing the uh, non-compliance slash misconduct process against you within seven days, which will result in termination. So, I was forced to get one of the the ones that were available at the time, even though I was on leave. I wasn't even at work. I was on leave and they still said, if you don't get it, you're going to be fired. So that's why I ended up getting the AstraZeneca. But touch wood, um, 
so far they haven't mandated the boosters. And I don't think it would go down well because we were all told, get the vaccine to your ticket to get your lives back. It's, it's, it's your ticket to freedom. Get double vaxxed and things will go back to normal. Well, they didn't go back to normal at all, mate. We still had ongoing restrictions. Um, so people are like, well, you told us before, if we get double vaccinated, we can start traveling again. We can have our lives back. And we haven't. So I think they, they, they've kind of blown their credibility a little bit. They, they promise us things and then not delivered. And now they're saying, oh, oh, now you have to get a third one. And a lot of people, a lot of people I know are saying, I'm not getting a third injection. No way. I, I got the first two. That's it. I'm done. Uh, um, so I'll never say never, Johnny, because if it comes down to the point where, again, I'm facing joblessness, I don't know. I'd like to think I'd refuse a booster, but I can't say for certain that I would. Um, but I feel like the more of these things you have, the more chance that there, there is that you're going to experience some sort of adverse effect. And I don't want to run that risk, mate. Yeah, that's a calculation I think that a lot of people haven't done because we often see these kind of charts or, or the people who are really pro-vaccine and they'll say, ah, but, you know, look, it's such a small risk of, you know, having this issue, that issue or the other, the other issue. But um, when you compare that with your risk from COVID, well, yeah, you should get the you should get the vaccine. But the problem is, I never see these same people when we clearly have a situation, at least in you know some parts of the world, where the bas- the, the booster, sorry, is um, absolutely necessary or is being um, promoted. That you should take this thing every. I think twelve weeks is generally the number where they're saying, okay, it wanes eff- efficacy. At that point, you should take a, a booster. Well, I don't see any of these people uh, multiplying that risk factor for the vaccine by four times a year, which is actually, you know, that's the honest thing to do. If they're telling you that it wanes after 12 weeks, then you should be, you should be multiplying it by how many times you've got to take a booster, right? You can't just, just give mm-hmm. one figure and, and compare like for like, because if you're going to have this vaccine for the rest of your life and they're, they're advocating it for everyone as young as about five years old uh, in most countries, they're, they're starting this thing at five years old that you can get it. Are they taking the average life expectancy minus five years multiplied by the number of fact, uh, number of boosters and then saying that's your risk factor? No, they're using the risk factor of a single vaccine, which is simply not how this is being administrated. So I'm surprised that more people don't do that maths. Absolutely, mate. And then that's part of the gaslighting too, what you just spoke about. You know, we were told early on in the COVID, you'll remember this, Oh, you know, it, it doesn't affect kids. They barely get it. When they do get it, it's 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 nothing. It, you know, it, it's it's no risk to children. You don't. Well, we went from that to oh, we've got to get this vaccine into these five-year-olds, and well, why aren't parents vaccinated? And pe- no one holds them to account. No one says, well, hold on, you you were saying something completely different a couple of months back. Why now? Is it so important that we get the, the, these mRNA vaccines into children? Thankfully, the take-up <clears throat> in young kids in Australia has been pretty low. I think a lot of parents took the view, look, I'll get this, I'll, I'll take the hit for my family, but my kid's not getting this. And, and, and they were surprised, I think, when they rolled out the vaccine for five to 11-year-olds, they were expecting huge take-up and they haven't got it. It's been, it's been quite disappointing to the authorities, which, which I'm very happy about. I can't understand why any parent would give their kid. I mean, look, I, I, I get giving them you know, the measles and mumps vaccines, those types. I understand why people would get those. I don't, but, but these, these COVID vaccines, no way, mate, especially with the risks we see, um, you, you know, soccer players dropping dead in Europe and all this sort of falling down on the pitch with cardiac events. And why, why would you put your 
your child at risk of that for a disease that poses virtually no threat to them. The kids aren't dying of COVID, you know what I mean? Like, so that's just part of how the, the narrative has, has continually changed. And I think the more times they shift the goalposts and change the narrative, the less confidence people have in the system moving forward, if you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. And a lot of people make this kind of comparison of saying, oh, well, kids have always had to get measles and mumps and rubella and things yeah. like this vaccine. Um, actually, in the UK, we don't have to, but I think in America, which is quite surprising, I think they have to get some specific vaccines in order to go to school, for instance. And people say, oh, well, it's no different. Mm. You know, you, now we just uh, add the COVID one on. The difference to anybody who is really being intellectually, intellectually honest about this and actually has looked at the figures is that those things that we're giving um, uh, these diseases that we're vaccinating children for currently actually pose a serious threat to the children. If you look at um, you know, the rate of serious illness and death from those um, illnesses that we're vaccinating against, there is, there is a real risk there. With um, COVID, as you mm-hmm. say, that children are effectively, they are, they are effectively immune uh, to this virus. Yeah. So the idea of, of vaccinating them purely is on the basis of saying, oh, well, you know, they could be asymptomatic and spread it. I mean, wh- whether, how much you believe about that is um, a matter for a different discussion. But even if you do accept it, the, we've never done that for flu. We've never said that for flu, um, you know, we'll give kids the flu vaccine. And I, I think they do it in maybe Japan, I think is the only country that I know of that I think does vaccinate kids or did at one point um, against the flu. Um, but basically everywhere else in the world, we've accepted um, you don't get it. I mean, in the UK, you're not even eligible until I think you're about 60 or 65 years old. Is that, is that for the flu shot? Yeah, for the flu shot. So, so it's another example of just kind of scientific dishonesty, you know, mm-hmm. um, intellectual dishonesty, that we're making these comparisons. You know, yellow fever is, is another example. You know, people say, oh, well, you need the yellow fever. Well, yeah, how... I always say this to people when they say about the yellow fever vaccine and I say, well, show me your yellow vaccine certificate. And nobody has ever been able to provide proof of it because barely anyone gets it unless you're going to go to very specific parts of the world that have high rates of yellow fever, which you can choose not to travel to those specific countries if you don't want to. Um, The the comparisons are, and by the way, yellow fever, not to bang on this point too much, but, you know, yellow fever has a... Um, rate of death, I think, ranging from about one in five to one in two people. Like yeah. it's very. If you get yellow fever, like you're really you're in a very very dangerous medical situation. And mm. the people, the idea that people would compare this to COVID, it's just so it just boggles the mind. And the only thing is, people are either brainwashed or they're being deliberately intellectually dishonest. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that, mate. Um, look, I, I, I still. I go back and forth. I still wonder what the, the the real agenda behind the whole COVID thing was. Um, you know, people say it was to, to bring in like a a, a a central bank issued digital currency, things like that. I, I don't know, mate. I, I go back and forth. Uh, I mean, in the beginning, I didn't even believe it existed. You know, I was sort of taking the David Icke position that um, I, I didn't know anyone who had COVID. No one knew anyone that had COVID. Um, and, and, I, and I thought it was at first I thought it was a complete lie then I, I've since known many people that have had it um, none of them were hospitalised none of them got very sick at all um, but, but I will say I think 
while I do believe there is something out there, that there, there is a, a, a disease, whatever, I think I know it's been massively exaggerated. I think other illnesses like, you know, people have had flu and things like that renamed COVID. They, they've done everything they could to, to make it bigger than what it is. And I don't know what the real agenda behind that is, but I'm convinced that there, were, that there was more to it than we were being told, you know, and, and the measures they took, the lockdowns, the, we've never seen anything like this. in our, I mean, the last two years have been the worst two years of my life, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know what the real agenda was, but I, I, I believe it was massively exaggerated. It was, it was blown, blown up to be something bigger than what it is and, and far more dangerous than what it actually is. And it poses very little risk to children, yet now they're pushing these vaccines on children. So, so I don't know, Johnny, I don't know what the real agenda is behind it all, but I know, I believe there's a lot more to it than, than I mean, you know, the talk of the great reset, things like that. Um, you know, this Klaus Schwab guy writing that book, COVID-19 and the great reset, that was really weird. But yeah, I, I just think there's more going on than we're being told. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, just on one other thing that you were that you were saying before, that even before this, um, you were an anti-vaxxer. Normally I, use, normally I hear that term anti-vaxxer used as a kind of, um, as a insult, basically. Insult, yeah. And I, I don't know that I know anyone who actually would self-proclaim themselves as an anti-vaxxer. So I'm wondering if you could just go over your thoughts about vaccines generally. Uh, you know, suppose COVID never happened, just what your thoughts were surrounding that issue before. Yeah, sure. Well, it's sort of interesting how it happened. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to bore you too much, but I kind of got on the the red pill truther bandwagon type thing around 2008. And it was basically after watching the movie Zeitgeist, someone at work told me to watch it. Prior to that, I was a total normie. I believe what was written in the newspapers. I believe politicians, although I've always disliked the nanny state and I've always thought we were overgoverned, I didn't hold strong political positions at all. You know, I was, I was pretty apolitical. But after I saw that movie Zeitgeist, and I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Johnny, but it, it basically, it, it's divided into three sections, but one of the sections is, is on 9-11. And I watched that and I, I was blown away. I didn't know, I didn't know about Building 7 collapsing that wasn't hit by anything collapsing into its own footprint at free, at free fall speed. I didn't know, you know, that the plane that supposedly flew into the size of the side of the Pentagon and there was no rubbish, there's no debris or, or wreckage or, you know, there's no video footage ever been released. The FBI's confiscated all the... Um, all the CCTV footage. So, so that after watching that, I kind of got interested in. I get, you know, I don't like the term, but I began investigating a, lo a lot of conspiracy type topics. You know what I mean? Now, when you're in that space, the 9/11 truther movement, you, you will inevitably, inevitably come across people like David Icke and Alex Jones, and they were always talking about vaccines, right? Now, I, I'd, I'd had vaccines in the past. I'd never really liked it, but you know, I. I'd had them and I didn't think much about them, <clears throat> but I, I started watching some people who I respected spoke at length about vaccines and and, they, and I started looking into it more and more. And the other thing that, that I, know, I knew many people over the years who had the flu shot, I'd, I'd meet people and, and they'd ended up in hospital with bronchitis or pneumonia and they'd say, oh, I had that flu shot and I've never been so sick. And I remember sort of thinking at that time I wasn't married and I didn't have children, but I remember thinking, maybe there, maybe there's something to the this this anti-vax stuff. You know, maybe they're not because I always thought they were crazy. To be honest, I, th I thought maybe they're not crazy. You know what I mean? And I remember thinking at that time, if I had a kid 
I don't know if I'd get them vaccinated now, you know, but, but I remember thinking, well, I don't have a kid. I don't really have a dog in this fight, so I don't need to make a decision either way. But I did get interested in vaccines because of, because of, like I said, I got initially got exposed through some of those conspiracy type people and the amount of people I saw that had gotten sick from flu shots. So I did start doing a lot of reading and I read a lot of books like Dissolving Illusions and a number of other books. Um, and over time, I, I, I became more and more, you know, vaccines are given credit for eliminating disease. But if you look at the graphs, that these diseases were already hugely declining anyway, mainly due to close, you know, clean, uh, clean drinking water, closed sewage systems, better nutrition. But vaccines get all the credit, you know what I mean? And the, the more I read, the more I studied, the more I became convinced that the, 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 the potential, the, the side effects of the vaccines outweigh the benefits, in, if there is much of a benefit in many cases. Then when my son came along, I mean, I, I never planned on having children, but my wife, you know, got pregnant. And I remember thinking, wow, now I've sort of got to put my money where my mouth is. Do I, do I really believe this or am I just going to... And, you know, me and my wife discussed it. I read more than I ever had. I read more and more and more about vaccines. And, and in the end, we both decided, no, um, our son's not getting um, getting vaccinated. So the only injection he ever had was a vitamin K injection. But other than that, he's never had a vaccine. I, I've never had any vaccines since then. I don't get flu shots and my wife hasn't either. But so, yeah, I, I did become an anti-vaxxer. And you're right. It is used as an insult in Australia. It's one of it's it's. People say now, oh, you're an anti-vaxxer and, and, and people get really upset by that. I, I, don't, I, I am a vaccine sceptic. I, I believe they, they, they are dangerous. And um, I think in many cases, the, the potential adverse effects outweigh the supposed benefits. So I, I've been that way for a long time. So you can imagine someone who, who has those views on vaccine being forced to take a COVID vaccine to keep their job. I was shattered, mate. I mean, it, it really affected me mentally. I was, I was really upset by it. And, um, and then, you know, people calling you sellout and shill and, you know, that, that didn't help. But, you know, I, I understand why people say that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize um, that you were so strong against all vaccines. I thought it was because, you know, I, I'm quite strongly against taking this one, but I've had, I've always been relatively neutral, I would say, on vaccines prior to this. In fact, I've never really thought about them. I've had more vaccines than I even had to take. Some of them I took voluntarily for traveling to certain places. Um, this is the only time when I've actually had a strong enough belief about it to say, no, I'm not going to take it despite all the pressure going on. So, yeah, as you say, I can't imagine what that must have been like for you um, being already very strong on this. Sorry, on this topic. Can, I just, can, I, can I just say one thing, Johnny? I'm not like a militant anti-vaxxer that I just want to say that I don't go around telling people what to do. I'm absolutely pro-choice. I mean, if someone feels that there's benefit for them or their children being back, I will never say to someone, oh, mate, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be taking that or you shouldn't be giving that to your ch ch child. That's none of my business. You know what I mean? I, 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 for myself, I'm, I'm, I don't like vaccines, but I would never tell someone else what to do or, or, or make them second guess themselves. Everyone's got to make the right decision for them. And if people feel that there's benefit for them in being vaccinated or in vaccinating their children, then that's what they should do. And I would never judge them for that. But by the same token, I ask that they don't, um, you know, sort of ridicule me for making my own medical choices, you know. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great if we lived in a society where people just respected each other's uh, medical choices? Oh, it would. It really would. So just, um, 
on a wider topic then, what's it like now in Australia when it comes to um, outside of obviously kind of employment and things when it comes to where things are at with vaccine passports? Do you need one to go to restaurants and shops, et cetera? Like what's the situation in Australia now? Um, well, again, I can only speak for New South Wales. I think Victoria is, is quite a bit stricter um, in Queensland, but the vaccine passport thing, it's funny. It never really caught on. Even even when um, in the middle of it, I, I don't think I've ever been asked to show a vaccine passport or, or proof of vaccination. Um, it was, it, I mean, it was so weird in the beginning because we had a really long lockdown. It was a brutal lockdown. And then when we came out of the lockdown, it was only the, the double vax that were allowed back into, um, back into society, back into businesses, to shops. I was still unvaccinated at that point. So it was, I was, for example, I was allowed to walk around a mall but I wasn't allowed in any of the shops. I was only allowed in um, supermarkets, liquor stores, and pharmacies. That was it. Um, I was locked out of everything. We, we 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 couldn't buy clothes for our son. You know, we had to order them online, and we'd have to go to a special spot designated for for, for unvaxxed people, and they'd put the goods into the boot of our car, and we'd have to drive off, so they didn't have to deal with us face to face. It was just, it was unbelievable. Um, but eventually even though I was unvaccinated and I wasn't allowed anywhere, I, I, I did walk into a couple of places and they never even asked me for the vaccine passport. I, th- I think a lot of people, it never really took hold the way they, they thought it would. Um, and then even after I got my first vaccine, now with the AstraZeneca, you, you have to wait 12 weeks between doses. So I, I had the first one, but I was still considered unvaccinated. So I'd been vaccinated, but I still wasn't allowed in any businesses. And my wife was, so we went, my wife was locked out of everything. So we went for months and months and months. We couldn't buy a coffee. We couldn't go to a cafe. We couldn't go to a restaurant. We, we couldn't go to Kmart. We couldn't go to any of the big department stores. We couldn't do anything, mate. We, we couldn't We couldn't go and visit family in Sydney because we weren't allowed to stay in any hotels. Like we had nowhere to stay. So we were just stuck at home for months and months and months and we couldn't go anywhere. So it was really bad, but um, I don't think the business were really enforcing it that much because even people that were going about their business were telling me, mate, I've never been asked for a vaccine passport anytime I've gone into a business. They've gotten rid of it all now. They got rid of all the QR codes. And again, that's thanks to our premier, Dominic Perrottet. He said, we're going to get rid of the QR codes. Um, he, he, he had resistance when he did that. The vaccine passports are gone. The mask mandates are gone, even though some people are not happy about it. So it's, it's not too bad in New South Wales now. Um, and I've never been asked to show proof of vaccination since this whole thing started, to be honest. So, um, you know, that's where it's at. I I hope it continues, but we'll see. I mean, if there's one thing the last couple of years have taught me, like no one knows what the future holds, you know what I mean? Like we, we, we can... I, I always had plans of paying off my house in a certain amount of time, saving this much in my superannuation. This is what I was going to do in retirement. All that has been just, my, my worldview has been changed because of COVID and the way the government, if they've done this now, who's to say it couldn't happen again for other reasons, you know? Like, so I live more day by day now, put it that way, you know? But to answer your question, Johnny, the, the situation is, is pretty much back to normal in New South Wales now. Um, no one's being asked for vaccine passports and we can pretty much do what we want. Yeah, that that's really good to hear. I mean, some of the things that you just mentioned there, um, you know, about having to order clothes online and things because you couldn't actually go into the stores to buy your son clothes. I mean, 
most of my listeners are in the UK and I think that they're going to be shocked to hear that. I mean, we obviously hear about the things that are going on in Australia, um, but uh, so sometimes you hear a story that really does just make you kind of take a second breath because, yeah, that that is just, um, it's hard to even describe that in the 21st century that a society like that happened and somewhere like Australia, which is, you know, supposedly a, a kind of modern progressive country, et cetera, to kind of have that. I mean, you know, in the UK, things things were bad, like by historical standards, but not bad in terms of um, the standards that were set across the world, you know, and uh, Canada has been terrible, um, you know, absolutely shocking to see what's been going on there. If anything, I would say Canada might have now leapfrogged Australia in being the most tyrannical yeah. Western democracy in the world. But um, yeah, obviously Australia gave them a really good run for the money and maybe still are. Um, but yeah, I guess um, just to kind of start closing things off, because this has been like a really good uh, conversation and I'm I'm so glad that we we had it. And thank you to you for kind of coming on and actually sharing the story. I know that it's like, a very difficult thing and as i said most people haven't had to really put themselves in such a compromising position as you have so i appreciate you kind of you know talking about it so openly with me i guess um i'll leave just any final thoughts up to you before we close things off obviously where people can find you but just any other thoughts that you have about where things are going um how to you know maybe how we're gonna start building a better world and any optimism you have for the future always trying to leave things on a bit of an optimistic note. So yeah, I'll just throw that over to you to close things off. Yeah. Thanks, Johnny. And thank you for inviting me, mate. I, I'm sort of, I was so surprised and flattered that anyone would be interested in what I've got to say. Cause I'm a nobody. I'm not like a famous person or I'm not a, a political figure. I'm just a, a, a random bloke in country, New South Wales. So thank you for inviting me. Um, <clears throat> Mate, solutions, I, I don't know. Uh, in Australia, we have a federal election coming up um, and we have, it's probably, it's, it's the same as the UK. We have two major parties. We have uh, the, the, the Liberals who are the, the supposed Conservatives. They're not Conservative in any way, shape or form. We basically have two left-wing parties. Um, they're all about big government, big tax, big regulation, mass immigration, um, authoritarianism, the nanny state. They're both the same. We have a chance uh, to vote this time for one of the more freedom-oriented parties, uh, and the one I'm affiliated with is the, Li the Liberal Democrats. But that's the only way this is ever going to change, I think. We're, as long as people keep voting for the two main parties, we're going to have more of the same. And they've shown their true colours through this COVID thing. You, you know, that they can't claim to value um, you know, freedom and democracy and, and, and the rights of the individual and civil liberties. They lecture other countries on, you know, like China and stuff, and, and, and I think we're just as bad. Um, but the, the only way I think it can change is at the ballot box, mate. We need to send a message to these major political parties that what they're doing is wrong and, and, uh, we're not going to stand for it. But unfortunately, I think Australians don't value freedom enough. They just don't like, I, I really like Americans. I used to think they were a little bit silly, how, how patriotic they were and they value their constitution and the, their gun rights. But I understand that now why they do that. And I really respect them for that. They are passionate about defending freedom, whereas in Australia we'll sign away our freedom at the drop of a hat, mate. And we've we've done that with COVID. So 
Australians need to kind of embrace freedom more and, and, and value it and treasure it more and fight to, to defend it. And, and that's what we've never done here and why we've ended up in, in the mess we have. But to answer your question, I think the only way is at the ballot box. And there's a few um, minor parties running this election, the Liberal Democrats, United Australia Party, um, One Nation, who are all anti-lockdown, anti-vax mandate, anti-mandate, not anti-vaccine. They're, they're against the mandates. And unless those parties get, like, you know, people vote for them and they get a good turnout, um, it's going to be more of the same. And if this has happened, you know, what's happened with COVID could happen again in the future with something else. It could be climate lockdowns next, or it could be a new disease. And, and once governments had a taste of this, this is now, you know, a tool in their toolbox, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of it happening, happening again. So I think that's the only hope, mate, to vote for the sort of the more freedom oriented political parties and try and, try and change it that way. I don't know, you know, violent revolutions, not, not an option that doesn't work. It's not practical. And, and what are you going to do? Go up against the government, try and overthrow them. It's just not going to happen. So I think the only way is at the ballot box and to keep speaking out. Like that's why I, people probably get sick of me on Twitter, but I, I more or less just got on there because I wanted to draw attention to what was happening in Australia. I wanted people to know that this picture that people have of, of Australia is not the case. It's an it's a pretty nasty authoritarian nanny state with a lot of a lot of bad laws and and bad tendencies and I, and I wanted to draw attention to that and I think I have to an extent and if so well that's that's the one good thing that's come out of my Twitter account you know but yeah that's probably all I'd have to say on that mate but again thank you very much for inviting me I really appreciate it and um, it's been good talking to you. Yeah, so your your Twitter is no to tyranny now, right? Yeah, at no to tyranny now. Yep, uh, my my nickname on there is Geronimo, and um, yeah, people can follow me there. That's the only real social media I have. I, I mean, I had a Twitter account before, and I only had a few hundred followers. And I thought, and this one, this time, I I got banned for something I said on the other one. I was off it for a while. I started this new one, and it just sort of blew up. And I think it was all to do with mainly around the vaccine and the COVID stuff. And so I'm surprised it got as big as it did. And um, I think that's where some people have kind of got to know me a little bit, you know, like yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope they've got to know you a bit more as well through this conversation. Um, so I really hope that uh, Australia can come out of the uh, authoritarianism and embrace a bit more freedom. I hope to see Djokovic back at the Australian Open as well. Was, wasn't that ridiculous? I mean, we had 50,000 cases a day in Melbourne, but we had to keep Novak Djokovic out of the country. You know, it was ludicrous. He was no risk to anyone and we were having tens of thousands of cases a day. But the real reason they wanted to make an example of him is they were worried that if he was here, he would encourage anti-vaccine sentiment. They said that in the federal court hearing. So that was the real reason he was banned from the country. And, that, and that's how petty and authoritarian Australian governments are. He wasn't here to talk about vaccines. He was here to play tennis. You know what I mean? But yeah, that's Australia for you, mate. Well. I'm hoping for the best for Australia and as well for you, Geronimo. So thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you for having me, mate. I appreciate it.